On the morning of Friday, November the 15th, 1940, my parents stood in the still smouldering wreckage of Coventry Cathedral. Over a thousand ordinary citizens like you and me lost their lives the previous night when the Germans blitzed the city and razed large parts of it, including the ancient cathedral, to the ground. One witness at close hand on that fateful night uh, was the, uh, the vicar of Holy Trinity Church, which is adjacent to the cathedral, the Reverend G.W. Clitheroe. And noting that by German estimates, some 500 tons of high explosives and 30,000 incendiary devices fell in 11 hours on this city of just under 250,000 souls, he observed, from the battlements of Holy Trinity, the panorama might have been an illustration from Dante's Inferno. I could not believe that anything had the chance of surviving. I wondered how the dead would be buried. That blitz took place 79 years ago. Neither of my parents at the time permanently resided in Coventry, although my mum had an aunt living there. But as their contribution to the war effort, they were both working at the Roots factory, where aeroplane parts were made, principally for Spitfires. My dad, because of his skills in technical drawing, designed precision tools and mum worked in the secretarial department, and they met at dance classes. Strictly come dancing, I think. Mum taught ballroom dancing, and dad was her pupil. But that's another story. They used to tell me a little about their experiences, and what stood out for me was, out of the tragedy and devastation all around in the city, there grew an amazing camaraderie and determination to do the job, despite whatever the Hun may throw at them. It is said that no family in Great Britain was not touched by tragedy during those times. And while my dad was not allowed to fly because of his poor eyesight, his brother, my uncle, uh, Flight Sergeant Richard Arding, after whom I am named, flew Wellington bombers with 172 Squadron RAF Coastal Command specially fitted with radar and searchlights to seek out surface U-boats in the channel approaches. He took off from a base in the Azores on the 31st of January 1944 and was never heard of again. Neither he nor his crew nor the plane was ever found, leaving a widow and two small children. They were hard times. Now, some 74 years since the end of the war in Europe, Probably most of us here today have to rely on stories told to us by our parents or even our grandparents or watch the History Channel in order to get some idea of what it was like. We will remember them, we are reminded. An Armistice Day commemorates the ending of hostilities in the First World War on the 11th of November, the 11th hour, and Remembrance Sunday has, since 1945, traditionally been the nearest Sunday to November the 11th. Today, as the 11th hour of the 11th month approaches, and parades and services take place in churches and war memorials around the country, tens of thousands of people will once again utter those immortal words. We will remember them. And of course, it is important to realise that you don't have to be a fan of war to take part in Remembrance Sunday activities. For today has nothing to do with the glorification of war, arms and conflict. And I know of people who would not come to this service 
or indeed at my church in Wilmington, for they thought that in some way Remembrance Sunday celebrated war. It does not. And to think that it does is to miss the point entirely. Bishop Nigel McCullough, former chaplain to the British Legion, said, It is a wholly irrelevant question whether this Remembrance Sunday appears to support war. The sole purpose is to honour those who have given their lives in war at the call of their nation. It is a wholly non-political point at which we rightly remember those who have fallen. It is not encouraging militarism, and there is no sense in glorifying war. Instead, he said, it is a quiet and sombre moment. So you can be an ardent pacifist and yet still support the principles and purpose of Remembrance Sunday. You can be totally opposed to our involvement in current conflicts, and yet still with integrity support the families and friends of those servicemen and women who have lost their lives in conflict, or those who have suffered horrific wounds. It is said that since the end of World War II, more than 12,000 British servicemen and women have been killed or injured in active service. And over the past two decades, more have taken their own lives than have been killed in combat. And it's thought that one in ten soldiers who fought in Afghanistan will develop combat-related mental health problems. In the past, the Ministry of Defence has given services mental health charity Combat Stress approximately £2.3 million for the treatment of veterans. It is important that we do not forget the sacrifices of these men and women. In our own time, and that British forces continue to be involved around the world in efforts to bring about world peace, in the ending of conflicts between warring factions, and in making the world a better and safer place for us all to live in. Even as we meet here today, men and women of our armed forces will be risking life and limb somewhere in the world on active service. We might not be wholly in favour of those conflicts that they are involved in, but that does not mean we should not support these brave and courageous people. Yesterday will always be important, for it shapes today and points to tomorrow. It is always easier to look backwards into the past, into what is unchangeable, than to look forward into the future, to what is still to be made. Yet tomorrow will be shaped by the decisions we make today, based on yesterday's experience. In our reading this morning, we learned of Jonah and his mission to Nineveh. It was not a mission that he particularly welcomed, and when he learnt what God wanted him to do, he thought the task was so impossible that he ran in the opposite direction. Nineveh lay to the east, and Jonah's flight, or intended flight, would have taken him 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. But there was a shipwreck and a whale, and you know the story. And eventually Jonah got the message, and he did indeed go to Nineveh, if you read on in chapter 2. Now, he was expecting opposition, indifference, perhaps, or even that he might be risking life and limb. For the message from God that he took to the Ninevites was never going to be very popular, one of impending death and destruction brought about by their evil ways. What Jonah did not expect was the reaction of the people of Nineveh when they learned of this. For not only did they listen to Jonah with great attention, but they repented of the things that they had done wrong. And even the, the king tore his clothes and wore sackcloth and ashes. 
when he realised how evil the place had become and how repentance was the only option. Jonah's mission that had had seemed doomed to failure and that he tried to run from was actually a great success. It had the desired effect. Lives were changed. People were saved. The nation revitalised because of the action of that one man. And we tend to think that we are small and insignificant and that we could not possibly make a difference. But Jonah did. And he had felt just like us. It's actually a very amusing story, and I recommend you to finish it at home. For Jonah, rather than being pleased at the success of his mission, as you might think that he would be, instead got angry with God for allowing these people, the enemy, to repent. He wanted God to be a God of judgment and punishment on these wicked people. And he could not get his head around the fact that actually God is essentially a God of love and forgiveness and longs for individuals and nations to repent and turn to him. And perhaps the message for us is that we might be surprised to discover that all people are God's people, that he loves everyone, and that he has room in his heart for peoples of every race and language and nation under the sun. It may come as a surprise to some of us to learn that God is not British. He's not of any nation, actually. He's not on any one side. And so Remembrance Sunday, we journey towards the future, taking the best of the past with us while laying down and leaving behind the worst. And so it is that on a day like this, we don't dwell on the destruction and senseless loss of millions of lives during two great global conflicts. Rather, we thank God for those prepared to sacrifice everything for their fellow men and women. And we learn from such conflicts as we seek to create a better and safer world for everyone to live in. Sadly, we don't make a very good job of it. Job of the Old Testament, despite intense suffering and misery, through it all could say, I know my Redeemer lives. His faith never deserted him, and it is faith and hope that will carry us through all of life's battles. And it seems to me that a life without faith is the one lived in a vacuum, a great void that needs filling. And today is as much about a future hope as it is about remembering the past. For some of us today, the past may be a burden that we carry around, bitter disappointments, hurt and pain caused by others, deep regrets, and perhaps the the sorrow of of the loss of a loved one. Letting go of the past and its nightmares can be the lifting of a huge burden. And perhaps on Remembrance Sunday, when the past is so important, we may feel ready and able at last to let that burden go to release it to God and lay it at the foot of the cross of Jesus and turn our faces to the future. Part of releasing a burden is about learning to give thanks to God, whatever the circumstances, finding a way of giving thanks for the past rather than forever carrying around the worst. And giving thanks can be a transforming process. It can transform the way we look at life and see people. Finding someone a pain in the neck very hard to get on with, difficult situation at work, children causing grief and despair, going through a painful divorce. St. Paul says, be thankful for everything. Give thanks to God at all times, whatever the circumstances, and for all people. And that can really help us to see life in a different light. When a small boy fell in a canal, a young woman, jogger, on the towpath, dived in to pull him out. 
The boy was fine, but her iPod and expensive trainers were ruined. The boy's parent took him to her front door to express their thanks. And interestingly, the woman, instead of saying the usual, oh, that's all right, it was nothing, smiled and said, just make sure you were worth saving. She alone knew the true cost. And it is that challenge that we face on Remembrance Sunday from armed forces personnel who gave their lives in the service of our country. It is a challenge that Jesus throws out to us from the cross, a challenge that shapes the way we look at our own lives and what we do in the service of others. If we lived in a perfect world, there would be no conflict and war, and everyone would live in peace and harmony. But we don't, far from it. We live in a world shaped by greed and selfishness, a world that was in pretty good condition when God gave it to us, but which humankind seems hell-bent on destroying at an ever-quickening pace. Perhaps today, when we remember with thanksgiving all that has been won for us in the past by the sacrifice of others, and especially through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, this ought to be an opportunity for us to dedicate ourselves to the creation of a better world, to fight for justice for those who have no voice, to ensure that everyone has equal opportunities, to seek out what is good rather than criticise what is bad, to help the poor and the needy in our world, to fight for our community and our neighbourhood, and ensure that we do not forget those who continue to fight battles for us. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's an active verb, not a passive one. It's about doing something and making a difference. Now, how can we do that? Firstly, give thanks for the past. Go up to someone today who has helped you greatly and to whom you owe a great debt of gratitude. Or ring them up to tell them you love them. Do it today. Don't wait for the right time, for the right time may never come. Secondly, forgive. Get rid of the baggage of pain, hurt and disappointment. You cannot undo the past, but you can learn and grow from it. Maybe that means saying sorry to someone or forgiving them for what they have done to you. Do it today. Don't wait for the right time, for the right time may never come. Thirdly, pray. Ask God to forgive you for all that is wrong in your life, for pain and hurt that may have caused others, for greed and selfishness. Remember that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, not so that we might have eternal life, but that you might have eternal life. Leave your burdens with him. Ask him to change your life. Do it today. Don't wait for the right time, for the right time may never come. Finally, be determined to make a difference. Jonah made a difference. Help someone. Give money to that important cause. Find out why someone you know is in such distress and lend a hand or an arm to lean on or a shoulder to cry on. Keep your eyes and ears open to hear and see the needs of others and hands and feet that are willing to go and help. Do it today. Don't wait for the right time, for the right time may never come. Contestants from this world used to be asked what their ambitions were if they won the contest, and often they would say, to bring about world peace. And we all laughed just a little. We individually may not be able to bring about world peace, but we can begin by bringing peace to our world, our families, the workplace, the school, our neighbourhood, our friends. And in so doing, we will begin to make a difference.
And so I want to end with a prayer used by Dag Hammarskjöld, one time Secretary General of the United Nations. For everything that has been, we give thanks. For everything that is to be, Lord, we say yes. Amen.